Welcome to the Heron Outlet. Oh my God, we can see each other's faces. <laughs> this is this is so random. This is so odd. We've never had the opportunity to do this before. Alex, it's so wonderful to see you, Austin. So wonderful <laughs> to see you. She is Alex Winley. He is Austin Robillard. I am Ian Hest. And uh, what, what a wonderful chance to get to now expand not only the podcast on... Uh, Spotify, on Apple, everything where you get your podcast, but also now on YouTube. We launched yesterday and everything that came with it. And guys, uh, first, I want us to talk about that, how excited we are for the launch on YouTube and what we're going to be able to do from uh from, from talking about uh, player interviews, from talking about tactical analysis, from talking about uh, a player access, coaches access, and uh, fans that, that we're going to be able to do. Uh, what are you looking forward to most as we get this venture started? Personally, I, I will say that I am more than happy to to take on anything that goes in and around uh, the stadium. I, I think that whether it's seeing players and getting interviews from them, whether it's seeing fans and getting interviews from them, or if it's, you know, this potential away trip that we have coming up to Portland, I, I can't wait to go out there and hopefully do some kind of vlog. I, I love interactions with fans and players and anything in and around the game. That's kind of my favorite part stadium atmosphere here and there. Um, I, I absolutely adore that kind of stuff. And that's what I'm, going to be trying to bring to you guys and all the fun stuff too i mean i know uh coming up hopefully we're going to be doing a little fifa ratings kind of thing just to give you a little insight there uh looking at inter miami's fifa ratings and how i uh disagree with ea a ton but it's okay um you know we're, we're gonna go on and on about that kind of stuff and, and I, I can't wait to bring you all the fun action the fun interactions uh in and around driving stadium and meet maybe even across the country yeah, and as far as, you know, the YouTube channel goes and the tactical analysis, I'm really excited to get that going. You know, uh, I know fans may not necessarily like it, but as a fan of the game, as a bit of a nerd, I, I do like, uh, you know, breaking down the game, you know, seeing how things work on the pitch, getting to pick uh, the minds of, you know, managers, you know, Neville, he's done a really good job with Inter Miami this season. And I think that's uh, such an underappreciated a part, a part of the game, you know, you know, finding space channels, you know, uh, you know, what positions, why some for formations work, why some don't, uh, you know, with this new medium that we're going on, it's going to be an absolutely fantastic time a visual way to show you know the the beautiful game and how inter miami play it but this is the heron outlet and we do need to talk brass tacks last week last weekend it did not look good for inter miami it was a very difficult uh four nil loss to new york red bulls and uh I, you know i really don't know where to start on it. Um, it. It was an unfortunate situation with the early red card. Uh, they didn't ever really seem to get things going with how they wanted to. Um, and, and, and so wh wh where do you go from here? The national narrative was very easy to go back to, oh, look at Inter Miami at home and how horrible they are and how they always have these blowouts. And it didn't really 
it didn't feel like that. And I don't know if that's a local versus national thing. I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I think that the, not necessarily a fluke, but this doesn't deter me from the fact that inter Miami are still in pretty good form considering the two losses they've had. New York teams. Um, I think it just had to do with, well, first of all, you had two players on brink of yellow card suspension and tensions were always going to be high. And after the red card, it, it only, you know, went downhill from there. And that's kind of what you, you would expect to begin with. And I don't think they ever got off um, on the front foot in this match. They, they lacked their ability to take control due to uh, the pressing from the Red Bulls. And I think it was a pretty fantastic game plan uh from new york they they outclassed miami in every aspect of the game anything that you could possibly think of new york red bulls just just did it better and obviously the red card didn't help and the poor play from personally the dps also did not help at all so there are a lot of different factors there and it was just another a night you sweep under the rug in my opinion and and hopefully move on to the next but with what happened in this game, you can't necessarily forget about what happened and move it, move on to the next because of the yellow card accumulation suspensions for uh, LGP. And then you have a yellow card accumulation suspension and a red card suspension coming up for Nico Figal going into the next match. So now you have a lot to think about if you're Phil Neville, uh, what you're going to do going into the next game and you, whether it's change systems, you definitely have to change players and personnel. Um, you have to do your best to, to get rid of whatever happened in the Red Bull match. And I know that's what a lot of players are saying. I think Phil Neville saying as well, we're just going to do our best to forget it. It's exactly what they did against NYCFC, that that 2-0 loss. I mean, I, I personally didn't really remember what happened in that match because it, they just continued a good run of form right afterwards. And they had a good run of form going in before that. And this good run of form that came in before the Red Bulls game can still continue past it. They just need to, to pick it up a little bit and, and hopefully get a win at Nashville at home. You know, Austin, I want to challenge you on that. Cause like, I, I remember back when the six game losing streak happened and it was so much of like, this is what this team is. And then they had this amazing run of form and it wound up being, oh, well, that amazing run of form was a fluke. Let's go back to the six game losing streak. It was like so quick on how it happened that this team was all, all of a sudden terrible again. Well, well yes, but I, I think that much like in a singular game of basketball, it's all a what's the saying? Uh, a game of runs. It's a season of runs, and that's, you know, in a 34-game season, uh, especially in a tough league with a ton of parity in Major League Soccer, you're going to have runs here and there. And no, they showed me no signs of optimism in that six-game losing streak, but I saw a vast turnaround, and I, I think that I saw enough from them in that turnaround that I have belief and confidence that they have enough players and enough belief in themselves as well to, to get the job done and hopefully push for the playoffs. This Red Bull game... Uh, you know, Phil Neville's got to do better personally. I, I think that he was doing a really good job managing games uh, for the most part, but, but this one, he, he even said it, he, he had it all wrong. I, I think that he, he got it wrong on all fronts and like, and two, you know, the red card helped, the red card didn't help. The yellow cards didn't help uh, the way the referee managed the game. I think was also pretty poor. It was a, you know, we can go on about that and we could probably go on about that. In every single match inter Miami has ever played, uh, but the no, game only is only at home. They, well, they yeah. are the worst referee team at home that I've it's, ever seen in my entire life. We'll get to it later. It's but. unbelievable how, how that happens. But yeah, I, I mean, from a tactical standpoint, I know Alex knows better than I do, but, but the Red Bulls, I mean, 
they, they just outclassed them. And, and I think that you have to move into Nashville and try and get the game plan right. Yeah, as far as that game goes, I, I it was just it was a mess. I, I think from, you know, 10 minutes in, I, I had a feeling that near Miami weren't going to do a lot of damage. You know, like Austin said, Neville, uh, he didn't rotate enough. You know, uh, the Red Bulls, they're a young team. Their average age is about 22 versus Miami's 27. And I know Matuidi and Iguain have a lot to do with that. But, you know, the way the Red Bulls are set up, they are, you know, they are a team that like too high press. They're a young team. They trained for it. They had the capacity to be able to uh, high press uh, for the duration of the game. And I, I think I told Austin that in the, the press box, all Inter Miami needed to do was just brave the storm of the high press for 45 minutes. You know, South Florida, it's hot, it's humid. Eventually they, they would get tired and, you know, you bring on someone like Carranza or someone with fresh legs off the bench, you know, who knows a set piece, like they'll score off a set piece, but you know, like a set piece or or some opportunity where they get the chance to, to, to score, you know, Miami could have won that one nil if they, if Neville played his cards, right. But, you know, unfortunately, like you said, he didn't rotate enough. You know, the guys look tired and I know they, they should have done better. Robbie should have scored off that, that, that set piece (laughs) that Gonzalo, uh, you know, he, he booted in and Robbie basically missed the free and yeah it was just it was a messy game from you know top bottom and you know like you said it's something that Inter Miami should like you know they should go past it but you know the yellow card and the red cards you know it's gonna it's gonna hurt them tomorrow you know Nashville they're a good side and their defense is one of the best in the league and I know their supporters have been, you know, a bit miffed because the national media with them last year and Miami got all the hype. Nashville is sort of under the radar, so they still feel some sort of sort of way uh, regarding that. And yeah, it's going to be a chip on their shoulder for Nashville. I know they want to get number two in the East, and and they're up there. You know, Orlando's been slipping, which I've been uh, <laughs> uh, following their downfall a bit. And yeah, it's going to be a difficult game. I, I won't lie. I think. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what Neville will do. I don't know if he'll switch formations. He did insinuate that during his pre-match conference, but you know, it, you know, the back three has just worked so well for Inter Miami. I, I think switching back to a flat back four, while it could work, I think Nashville also line up in a back five, and numerically they will just outpower, outmatch Inter Miami and on the wings and in the midfield, especially if if they switch back to the four, two, three, one, if Miami do, you know, Pizarro's all over the pitch and he doesn't have that positional discipline to, 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 to link up with Matuidi and Gregory or, or Chapman or whoever starts in, in that double pivot. I actually wrote a piece this morning about, you know, why the back three has worked so well and why the four, two, three, one earlier in the season didn't. So yeah, it's going to be a, just a difficult match all around. Let's, and, talk, let, and, let's talk, let's talk about that eventually. Okay. I, I, but you know, I mean, I trust me, I know about the Nashville fans because <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I heard it. Yeah. With, you got uh, with, jumped uh, by uh, them the other day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Lord knows that I had to deal with, uh, <sighs> with them uh, for, for God knows saying that I think that he should be fourth or fifth God forbid in the MVP standings, they they really made me feel it. But uh, but understandable. Hopefully one day, Enter uh, Miami will have somebody who uh, we all can yell about is fourth or fifth in the MVP standings. But as it stands, what do you think is that you need to do with this offense? Because that's really. I keep going back to it. I know I keep going back to it again and again, but that keeps being the part that scares me. I mean, 0.1 XG 
we talk about 0.9 XG as the benchmark, but 0.1 XG last game, there there just seemed to be nothing that was going on. You you have to test Joe Willis in this match. I mean, there, there's no option. And the way you do that, well, I personally don't have the answer, but I think that a lot of it is going to have to do with, with Robbie being fresh and getting out on the wings. I think it's also has to do with a little bit of a Gonzalo Higuain and dropping in and being a little bit more creative because with possibly uh, Gregory having to play a more defensive role, I actually asked him about this um, on Monday in the afternoon, if he was, you know, open or have knowing that he was going to have to play in a more defensive role, given the center backs being out. Um, he's, it's a possibility. He said he's ready to do it. Um, where, where are you going to find any creativity in the midfield? And Matuidi has not been able to really provide much. If you have to throw in Jay Chapman, which is probably the option considering Victor Uyoa is probably out. Gonzalo Higuain is going to have to create his own chances and he's going to have to create chances for somebody else. He's going to have to have one of his best performances on the year and not just by a goal scoring metric. He's going to have to have the best creative chance, creative games of the year. And now that I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about one Higuain and Gonzalo, maybe Federico ends up getting the start. Maybe he goes with this other, you know, what he did against Orlando that one time, I really didn't like it where Pizarro and Robinson were, were kind of playing under Higuain. Maybe you see that with Federico and Robbie and you have somebody who can provide service in that way, but to, to play against this, this five at the back at Nashville with, with some very solid defenders is going to be rough nonetheless. And, and I think Gonzalo Higuain is the main factor in this. But Austin, let me ask you about that because Federico, every single time he's been on the pitch, Inter-Miami has been improved, but it's always in these short spurts. It's always in these very, yeah. like, like minute areas, they, 10, 20 minutes. It's never for 90 minutes. So, like, I, I guess I just, I struggle with figuring out how to balance what that looks like. How many, how many options does Phil Neville have considering what he's going to have to ask some players to do in this game coming up? Like if I'm not saying this is for sure, but I might be the only one. I don't know if you guys agree on this. You guys can chime in if you want. I don't personally hate. And I also don't see why Phil Neville wouldn't go with Gregory as a center back option. If he is to keep the same uh, five at the back formation, I know that sounds crazy, but I, I I'd put him in the central center back role, maybe being surrounded by McCoon and Leardom. And I think that that's an option you have to consider. Maybe that's outlandish. Maybe that's crazy, but that's something for me that I'm, I'm looking at Phil Neville and asking him, are you considering doing that given the options that you have? And that, you know, Gregory is a very good connector at times. I think that there's been spurts where he can play a really good short pass. He can connect the back line to the defense. He's been good at that. And that's why Miami, it's part of why Miami has been good at playing out the back along with Nick Marsman. But you're not going to have that with Jay Chapman and Blaise Matuidi only in the midfield. It's not going to be there. And I think that, you know, Federico, coming on and maybe playing in a midfield role, whether it's say it's 45 minutes, say it's 60 minutes, maybe just to get out in front and keep a one nil lead going into halftime. And then you can change your game plan a little bit. Nashville is not the greatest scoring team. I think we've played them twice to nil nil draws. And if you can go for that again, I think that's a decent result, but if you get the goal to go ahead, it helps you even more and it helps you game plan for the rest of the match. So if Gregory moves to center back, 
that, I mean, for me, like, I'm not going to do that simply because I think that you're losing things elsewhere, like you talked about, Austin, right? Like, you, if, you, if you have to have those three at the back, I think it's just obvious to say Gibbs is kind of a left center back, kind of not. Leardom is kind of a right center back, kind of not. And you get McCoon in the middle. Why wouldn't you just do that? Alex, help me out. Personally, I would keep McCoon on on the left-hand side just because, you know, he's a lefty. That's easier for him. And while I guess he can't play in the center, um, you know, he he's better off, you know, using his feet to, you know, to get himself out of situations. And I don't completely though he's been playing a lot. I don't completely trust him as that middle center back. You know, we've seen Figal play that role. You know, he's basically everywhere on the pitch when he's when he's at his best and you need you need to be a real commanding uh defender to play in that central role so i wouldn't put mccoon there uh I, you know i, I kind of agree with austin with dropping gregory back i think gregory's willing to play there uh he said it he's willing to play there i, I think he's got defensively enough to be able to play there and even then even like I wish I had an illustration, even in a back three, uh, you know, a lot of times um, there, I think the position is called the libero where you basically shuttle up and down. So that's middle center back can be essentially a defensive midfielder if you play the formation correctly. So it won't be too far off from where Gregory originally plays, but um, you know, it, it is still a defensive role, but he can shuttle up and down the pitch, but all he does is need to get back defensively. And yeah, I think Leardom has that third right center back although he's he's got some uh, mixed reviews there um yeah i'd play him there just because he said he's played there before where does he's that there. come from though where does that come from um leonard as a center back um Cyrenum, just because of his poor play is that not people like oh. understanding that he's been better the further inside he's come than <laughs> than where he's played I think it's that New York City FC game that you guys said that you forgot about. I I haven't really I, that game really bothered me because tactically I think the first fifteen minutes Miami could have gotten a goal if if they stuck with it. But anyway, it's it's past that. But yeah, I think that New York City FC game where he, he was at fault for two of the goals. I believe he let out he get out, he he gave away a penalty and then the first goal he was just not tracking Castellano. So I think that has been imprinted in in people's minds. So uh, yeah, and. In a way, I, I I kind of I don't know. Leardom's a bit of an enigma. I, I don't know. Like in a, back, a flat back four, he does fine, but as a wing back, he's slow. You know, the Toronto game was a perfect example of that. Uh, as a center back, he's okay, but you know, he's not as dynamic as a LGP or Figal. So it's uh, definitely going to be a tricky game for for Neville and his coaching staff. But I'm intrigued to see what they they go with. So, so let's, let's say Phil does drop Gregory um, and plays him in the, the, the center center back role. You have McCoon on the left, maybe Leardham on the right. That would mean Gibbs as left wing back and then Morgan as right wing back. What do you do in the midfield that, that gives enough for Miami to, to keep this consistent play from the back style and, and try and create chances going forward? Because I think in that scenario, then I think Federico has to be on the pitch the first 45 minutes. I don't think you get enough from Matuidi and Chapman, um, but that's that's just that's just me. I don't know I where disagree. else you really go. Yeah, I disagree. I I, I mean, I, I think that there is a world where 
Matuidi and Pizarro can play in that middle. And then you can have the wide of Robbie and Indy still and have Pibita uh, up top. I, I, I still think that there is that world where that exists. How much cover does does that, I mean, so if you play Pizarro in a pivot with Matuidi in front of that back three, how much cover are you actually giving them? And at the same time, when do you, I mean, you're what not, kind of instruction? You're not. You're not you're, you're, I mean, you're not. and you're not going to just, this is just given the options, but you have to also, Matuidi does like to get forward at times. He does like to, you know, imp- put himself forth in the press or, or trying to make passes going forward and leave Gregory behind. You can't do that when Pizarro is going to be playing in a number eight role. Can you, I mean, I think that it provides for a lot of discomfort in certain areas. See, I thought about that once just dropping Pizarro deeper. Cause he, you know, for all his faults, he's a very good ball carrier. He's got good ball retention. You know, it's hard to get the ball off him, but like you said, he's, he wants to score. He wants to go forward. So he may not have that positional uh, discipline to, to, to stay back and, and defend, but you know, that's certainly something that I would like to see maybe dropping him, maybe not in a double pivot, but in a flat uh, four, three, three middle three, you know, not necessarily defensive midfielder, not necessarily a central midfielder, but more of a, you know, just a body taking up that number eight spot. Uh, I, I would be intrigued to see him there, but as far as the lineup goes, I, I think I, I would just start Chapman, Matuidi, uh, have Robbie if he's fit on that left side, uh, Iguain and then Vasilev. And like uh, Austin said, I'd, I'd bring on, Fede, uh, second half, maybe if it's still 0-0 and we need some fresh legs, you know, you, you throw on uh, Federico Iguain, he'll he'll definitely make something happen. So, yeah, it's going to be a tough game because Nashville, they've just, they've, they're just really well coached and they've got a good defense. And, yeah, I, I think this is a game where Miami just need a counter. You know, that's they, my thing. That, that's the thing that I feel like, like and, and we're getting to Nashville preview quicker than I intended us to. But, like, in terms of that, they're good defensively. Like you need to have as many attacking options as possible. That they're good defensively. Puts Federico with- and Jay to the bench that puts Pizarro out there. You're good defensively with LGP Gall, LGP and LGP Gall. I you guess don't have them, right? like- but you don't have them. So <laughs> you have no idea what kind of defense you're going to have in this match. This is another scenario I I, I want to bring up. Phil Neville has implemented a 5-3-2 at times with two strikers. Maybe there could be a midfield three, and it'd be something that give me a little more comfort with Pizarro, Matuidi, and Chapman, and then Robbie and Pepita up top. Is that something that you would consider? I think that that yeah, could make sense. I agree with that. I, I think that would be the the likeliest scenario. You know, then Pizarro can play in the midfield, and they'll have two guys behind them that give him that insurance. But yeah, I think that's that's definitely a possibility. You know, um, maybe Carranza gets his start. I know we've been hard on him a lot um but you know he doesn't seem to play well with Iguain and you see Iguain get visibly frustrated sometimes which is understandable I've talked about Kronza it's another conversation but uh yeah I I I don't know if Robbie's fully fit Neville did hint that he could get some playing time but um yeah I I would go with the 5-3-2 because it, it gives you um some more uh, mid midfield stability in in that regard my only thing with that is that it's never looked good Every, every single time they've tried it, it's never looked good. And so for whatever reason, I, I, I don't know. I, I just have never 
had that, like I always have that queasy feeling every single time that they do two up top because the offense is a little bit scary, especially against a Nashville team that has looked so dominant defensively. I think they have more shutouts than any team in the league. I think they have double-digit shutouts. Um, and, and so that's really where my concern would come with that. Guys, let's talk Nico Figal because he's not going to be playing this upcoming week. Whatever. I, 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 we'll get into that red card that huh, I have feelings about. Um, but I think that, like, a lot of the rumors that are circulating, what will this mean for him? Let's, let's actually take a step back. Let's talk about the red card and what that meant for the the Red Bulls game because I feel like that completely took everything out of it and completely changed the the flow of the game, the thought of the game, and what was going to happen. So do you think it was justified? Do you think that, I, in my opinion, the second yellow was a yellow, the first wasn't? So how do, how do you sort of get around that is the question for me. I, I think it was fair to give a yellow on both occasions. I think that if possibly if advantage wasn't played on that first foul, referee might have gone to VAR and given a straight red. I, I think that that was definitely a possibility if advantage was, wasn't called. Um, and the fact that advantage was called, they still viewed the possibility of the red and ended up giving up a yellow, which that rule with VAR is kind of bullcrap anyway. But um, I think that it was a fair yellow. And I think that the second one was an obvious fair yellow. It was a just a foolish, foolish, uh, not even, he just, hockey body checked the guy way away from the ball. It just didn't really make much sense, but that's kind of something you're going to get. And, and in terms of the game, Figal's impact has gone, not necessarily unnoticed or under the radar, but we haven't talked about him much because he just has been so consistent. He has been so good in that central center back role. I am so thankful he has done with these right back days that I was calling for earlier in the season that I'm quickly taking back. Um, or even that right center back role with LGP on the right side of the, of the back three. I, I think that this middle of the back three suits him so well. And the fact that we haven't talked about him as much is actually you know, giving him compliments to how good and consistent and the good form he's been in. He has been so solid, uh, almost a rock defensively at times. And and I think that losing him, having to change styles was, was everything because we know that this new style that they've implemented in the last 12 matches is really what's been the key. It's getting the most out of the players and getting the most qualities out of them. And I think losing him and having to change styles was absolutely everything. But at the end of the day, it was a fair red card in my opinion, after the two yellows and, it is what it is. You live with it and you live without Figal for two more matches and you have to go with it. Yeah, they were fair. I, I you know, that second yellow, especially I was like, ah, oh, he was going to get sent off. <laughs> so I, I was just preparing for it and yeah, it's going to be difficult. Nico's been uh, really good for inner Miami. He's one of the, he's been one of the better players there. I say, you know, him and McCoon, they've, they've, up their game and LGP as well. Um, what Nico brings to that that center that center role in that back three, it's the sense of, you know, how how do I describe? You know, you have to be on your toes. You know, there's a lot of balls that he's over the these last twelve games. 
there's a lot of times where he's just put out fires and had last ditch tackles that, you know, you need to have as a central defender in that back three, because you are the anchor of that defense. And not only is he a good defender, his passing out of the back is absolutely brilliant. You know, that ball to Breck Shea, um, uh, where, you know, um, Miami ended up winning that game through a, you know, a Breck Shea goal, which is a, a meme at this point, you know, that ball that Figal uh, punted into him was absolutely gorgeous. And I kept rewatching it because it was just so good by him. And yeah, against Nashville, um, Miami's definitely going to miss that because like I said earlier, it, this is going to be a game where Miami won't have too many chances and with Nashville's back line, they are a bit slow. And if say Robbie starts, you can, you know, and if he got was on the pitch, you could have just, you know, ping balls over the top, you know, get into their final third and try to make something happen. But with, you know, Figal gone and, and a back three of say, you know, McCoon, Gregory and Leardom, Leardom will not give you the passing that uh, LGP does or, 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 and Gregory, he, you know, he's Brazilian and Brazilians are, just in there inherently good at soccer, wherever they are, they are on the pitch, but, you know, Gregory could do that, but, you know, he's, he's definitely his strength lie in, in his, his defensive midfielder ability. So yeah, that's a part of the game that will be taken away for Inter Miami with Figal and LG both being out, but, you know, Figal, I, I do think it'll hurt the most because he's, he's just been an anchor in that back five and yeah, it's going to be difficult, but, you know, it, it's just the way of the game and, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, and on the bright side, there's a silver lining. Both of them will get rest. <laughs> They've been uh, playing, you know, how many straight games, LGP and Figal. So uh, with these suspensions, they'll, they'll get a couple games off, a game off to refresh themselves. And, you know, uh, Miami's looking to make the playoff push. So uh, that could be beneficial for them as, uh, as well. How much, Alex, just real fast, how much do you think that that rest is important? Because one of the big concerns I have, Lewis Morgan is this unsung hero that continues to churn out minutes now for a second straight year and and really doesn't get the credit on that, that he's out there every single time. We talk about how guys need to be rotated. Inter-Miami's dealing with all these injuries. Lewis Morgan's out there day after day after day, minute after minute after minute. Yeah, I think with Lewis, um, yeah, he's the type of guy that, you know, he's got, you know, workhorse lungs and, you know, he's just an absolute, you know, unit. He likes to fly up and down the, that wing and he he's flown under the radar. I know he's not as productive as he was last season, but, you know, he does a lot of little things, the the, the small things uh, really well, you know, um, he's made that right wing back role his own, um, you know, the Figal at right back, right wing back um, experiment is you know, you know, it's over, you know, let's never have that happen again, ever. Uh, um, Nico's strengths play, uh, you know, they, they lie in him being a center back, but yeah, Lewis Morgan, he's been absolutely brilliant. You know, the set pieces are an iffy thing with him. I, I do prefer, you know, if Gonzalo will take them more, he's just better at them. No, no offense to Lewis, but you know, we saw with that Robbie Robinson chance, but yeah, Lewis is great. And I, I do think that, um, uh, he, he does need rest. Yeah. He, he's been all over, all over the place and Neville was, you know, I, I believe Miami were down, they were down some goals, um, against the Red Bulls and Neville just took him off the pitch. Cause it, it did feel like a lost game. And, you know, the Nashville game is definitely more, uh, important in regards to playoff, uh, uh, you know, the playoff push. So it was a smart of Neville to take him off and Lewis definitely needed that rest, but yeah, he, he's been everywhere and he, he, he definitely deserves 
uh, he deserved that rest. Uh, I've got nothing to say because it was just a bad game, and you know it, Neville was right to take him off. Really, it was it was at the half actually when when Neville took him off. So it, I think even then it made even more sense because you had the Figal red card earlier in the first half and you knew things were going to change. You were down two nil at that point. Uh, I think Phil Neville was very much looking into the future uh, with that Lewis Morgan sub. And I mean, it, it made sense as much as you want Lewis Morgan on the pitch. Uh, you want him on the pitch in terms of longevity too. And, and that game seemed done and dusted and it was done and dusted. It only got worse. Um, Vasilev came on and Lewis Morgan got an extra 45 minutes of rest and well, definitely be starting and be a very pivotal piece in this upcoming Nashville match. Guys, I wanted to talk about for, for a bit, and I mentioned it, that the national narrative for the past couple of days has been, Oh, another huge blowout for inter Miami at home. And why, why is inter Miami always getting blown out at home? And I don't know if that's simply because the New England game and the Red Bulls game were seen by a lot of the national narrative, or, or if if you remove those games, Inter-Miami is above 500 and only has a negative two goal differential. I was talking about how there's only three games this year, the Montreal weird rain delay, DC, which like just don't get me started on that DC 3-0 game, And New York City, I understand, because I truly think that New York City might be one of, if not the best teams in MLS this year. Inter Miami is not lost by multiple goals ever on this. So why do you think that there is this perception of Inter Miami not getting the this not only like credit nationally, but just this idea that Inter at home are looking the way that they're looking. Well, it's because you started off 2020 0 and 5. You made the playoffs as the 10th seed and you lost 3 0. And then you had the cheating scandal. And then, you know, the, the narratives are all going to be twisted in a negative manner with how you have come into the league. And, and I think that it's put eyes on Inter Miami in a negative way, in a way that, you know, they are trying. Not nece- not that the na- the narrative is for Miami to become a laughing stock, but it's someone to point and make fun of when you get the chance. And they haven't really had when they were on that great stretch of games. There wasn't as much coverage as I expected. You know, given that it's Inter Miami and that you know they are trying to be this global brand and have a lot more reach than other MLS clubs. This great stretch of games did not really go notice in terms of anything outside of South Florida. When they got to fifth place, that was the only time that it was really being shown when they actually hit the fifth place number. And now this loss is just another setback and another way for people to point and make fun of a team that's gone through a ton of hardships, whether it's by their own fault or not. Uh, it's just another way for them to do that. And it is what it is at this point. I think you have to embrace it, right? I mean, there's no other choice but to embrace it and just make the playoffs and shut everybody up. That's how it, I see it. Is that, is that how you see it? Like, you, yeah. you don't want to have – you. Like, is this like another Miami Hurricane, us against the world mentality? Uh, not to that – not to that level uh just because i i think that the hurricanes got the, a lot of that derived from them being so great miami have not you know my inter miami have not been great yet and that so it's a little different for me but yeah i think at this point in time it is kind of that same narrative where you just have somebody 
in South Florida look at and be like, haha, they're doing poorly. And there's it so is what it is. South, I mean, there's so much South Florida in that, though. There's so much yeah. South Florida in it, saying, oh, everybody hates us. We don't care. Let's be jerks. All of that. Yes, but also at the same time, it's sometimes even the South Floridians who are doing the hating. Am I right? I mean, the the fan base of any sports team in South Florida, not to get a little dicey or get anybody on my on my heels, but you know, it's a it's a winner for the most part. I, I think that the Heat have a very pretty decent fan base, but they've also been really consistent in terms of winning since they came into the NBA. Um, it, it's a win or. I'm not going to be a part of this kind of fan base no, other than La Familia. Let me just say, I'm talking more about the casual fans, uh, but La, cause La Familia is unbelievable. Uh, but in terms of, you know, they sold 18,565 tickets last match. Not that that's how many people showed up, but they sold all of the tickets. They had not done that this year. I don't believe, I think they might've only done it once a couple, couple games back. But other than that, I mean, if you're not winning, they're not going to show up. They're not going to show out. And when you start to win for any South Florida sports franchise, that's when they're going to show up and show out. And then if they're not winning, they're going to jump on the bandwagon and say, ha ha, look at Miami. I think that's just how it's going to go. And you have to prove people wrong at the end of the day. Yeah, we get plenty of, uh, at the hair and outlet, we get plenty of, uh, naysayers in our, 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 are, are, are at you know just saying you know just ripping players for no reason it's like they you know they, they don't necessarily watch the games and it's frustrating to try to argue with them because they see one thing and they have their biases so their 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 um narrative is already set for them so they're just going into an argument blinding the uh, bl- blinded arguing this one thing that they see and they, they frame their entire argument wrong and it, it, it's pretty frustrating but um, yeah, as far as the national media goes, I've talked about this a lot. I, I uh, uh, there's a lot of great MLS writers that I I, I read uh, a lot. And, you know, at the, at the Athletic Extra Time Radio, you know, those guys are great. But I, I want to go back to the beginning of the season where there are a lot of um, you know there are a bunch of new coaches coming into the league. You know, Her- Hernan Lasada, uh, DC, Josh Wolf at Austin, Phil Neville was one of them at, at Miami, and uh, Gabriel Heinz at, at Atlanta. You know, uh, and people were ranking these coaches. They said, oh, um, you know, Heinz will do well. Josh, Josh Wolf will do well because he was Burhalter's assistant. And almost every time, every list that I've read, Neville was at the bottom of this list, which is fine. You know, I wasn't necessarily, uh, he wasn't my first choice or anything, but I was surprised at how little background that some of these articles did on Neville and how his England women's side played. So uh, looking Towards today, you know, two of those coaches that I've listed, Heinze is out at Atlanta and Josh Wolf, who never held a head coaching job ever. He's always been an assistant and Austin are now dwelling at the, the, the bottom of the Western conference. And I say this to say that, you know, a lot of people, you know, they, the, you know, rightfully so, I guess, Inter Miami did mess up 2020, you know, with that own five start and this year with that losing streak, you know, rightfully so there's uh you know, you're right to criticize, but, you know, a lot of people just underestimate Inter Miami and their ability to, to bounce back and, 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 and do well. And it showed in, in, in underestimating uh, Phil Neville coming here. They didn't really, they just wrote him, wrote him off without really doing their research. And I said it at the time, I, I was confused to why they're rating hindsight and, and Josh Wolf higher than Neville because, well, all respect to Josh Wolf, he he never had a head, a head coaching job. He's always been an assistant, and they just assumed because he was Burhalter's assistant assistant that he would uh, do you know he would set up his team the same way that the U.S. men's national team played or Columbus played. And, and you know now we're seeing that you know it's 
expansion is hard and it's not gonna be a walk in the park. And with Gabriel Heinze, you know, knowing him, just his personality and his coaching style, MLS is a league where you have to follow a certain set of rules and and you can't say, oh, it's my way or the highway. And I knew that was gonna just clash with that Atlanta locker room and they've they've done it. Uh, with the poor and, and you know with Heinz being the the bit of a uh, hard head that he is you know we saw his tenure at Atlanta come to an end solely because he just he wanted too much control and I knew that it was going to happen inevitably but you know at the beginning of the season people were just you know writing writing Phil Neville off rating these coaches that I didn't see enough from them to 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 place higher over Neville so I think going back to that and then coming towards um this national media narrative about Inter Miami you know they're bad they'll always be bad not a lot of things were written about the club when they were going through that win streak um you know, we're seeing it a lot now. I know that 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 loss on uh, on Friday against the Red Bulls was was difficult, but and the team has to move on. But you know, Miami that was their second loss since um, uh, July twenty fifth, yeah, I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like that's that's a crazy run, and the power rankings. <laughs> It didn't budge. I don't understand. Yeah, like honestly, it did not. I did not understand how it did not translate. And and you look at the power rankings, and it looks like oh, Inter Miami just skated by this entire time. And it's like, wait a minute, this team. When every other team has a good run, we talk about how that's well deserved. And and when Inter Miami has the literal exact same run, we we just say oh, it's a fluke. And and that was the confusing part to me. I, I want to play devil's advocate here just because I think it's important to, of course, um, not that, I, not that I disagree with anything that you guys are saying, but let's, let's take a look at the run before the Red Bulls loss and before the Toronto, the three run Toronto win where Gibbs scored the fourth, right? Nil nil to Orlando. That first half was a nightmare. Akindeli missed penalty. Marsman making great saves. And then I think they also had a goal that was ruled offside by via deflection uh, from Akindele as well. A rough first half, but they stuck it out and got nil-nil. Offensively did not create much other than one Pizarro chance off a corner that Gaiese made a great save. Then you look at the next match, September 4th against Cincinnati. That's the one-nil win with what you talked about, Alex Figal playing a ball to Breck Shea in the 90th minute. Now let's go to the... Uh, Next, the game next Friday against Columbus, a one nil. Wait, wait, wait! They dominated that Cincinnati match. They dominated uh, that Cincinnati match. I, I mean, will say, like, let's, I will let's say, not like just gloss over. I'm not. I don't know if they dominated. Uh, that first half was a bit iffy. I, I won't lie, but the second half, I, I do think that they were they were pushing for a goal. But yeah, I don't <laughs> think they did enough to convince me that they f- deserve more than a one nil win, personally. But. Anyway, the point is they didn't score until the last second of the match. Then the Columbus game, it's 1-0 due to a errant back pass that Gonzalo Higuain pounced on, and that was really your best chance of the match. And then you go on to the Toronto game. Right after that, another 1-0 game, which was one of the worst Inter-Miami matches I have ever watched, and McCoon got that penalty and, and took it and, and scored. There were many times where Miami looked like they were on the ropes in these matches, you have to say that. And I think that that is not that they don't deserve credit for getting results because at the end of the day, that's what matters. Getting results. They got nine points in those three matches, 10 points. If you count the Orlando I one and it moved, completely. it moved them into fifth place. 
right? And that, that's fine. We disagree with you, Austin. But I don't think they played well enough. And that Toronto game, they were both in control of. I cannot say time. that they were in control of the Toronto game. There's no way. They, they were not in control of Toronto. They, they, if they Nick just, Marsman let that goal in, like... Which he did, by the way, but... He, he, yeah, Miami would have lost that. In my, like, that Toronto game was easily the worst they've played on... Uh, it, it's just, look, I'm thinking about it now. It, it frustrates me so much because it was just... It was, you know, Toronto are... Heads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, it was, we're it was like, hard. Oh, what does this team do to us? <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, but then you have to make another fair point. The two games before that, the Orlando match, the stretch that I was talking about, they had scored six six goals in two matches and, and looked fantastic. They looked a great side. Pizarro had those two goals against Chicago, then the 3-1 against Toronto. I mean, there were times where they looked really good, and then those 3-1-0 wins, they scrape by and get a victory, in my opinion. At the end of the day, yes, they get the victory, but I don't think that we can give them enough credit to move them up in the power rankings or in the national narrative to say this team is one of the best in MLS or top 10. I'm I'm not I'm not at that point. But in like comparison, in comparison to where, you know, Miami were, you know, last season and the beginning of the season, the fact that they are scraping by and fighting and getting results to me last season's inner Miami, they would have lost those games because they did not have that fight. So I agree. Yeah, so in terms of the power rankings, a little boost upwards would have been nice because, you know, fundamentally this team's mentality has changed since last season. Neville has implemented, the, you know, these guys fight, even though they, they you know, the Rebels games was, was terrible. You know, those 1-0 wins, there was some fight in that. With McCoon winning that penalty, there was fight. Even the Columbus game, they kept the clean sheet. You know, there was a run where they, they made uh, four straight games without conceding a goal, which, you know, Austin, you've talked about that. Just, you know, Marsman keeping it's outstanding. It, it, it is outstanding. And I, yeah. and I agree, but I can't say that they had did enough other than scraping by and getting three points, which is enough for me in with the fan in me. That is more than enough, right? McCoon scoring that penalty gave me gracious joy. I was, I was so happy i was elated but at the end of the day i can't say that they played well in the toronto match i can't say they played well in the columbus match and i do not think they played well enough in the cincinnati match and they scared me in the orlando match and obviously if we look at this red bulls game it obviously wasn't enough so that is where i think i me the devil's advocate comes in and says this is why this is why i don't think that they have played enough and played well enough on a consistent basis here other than getting results which is the only consistency that matters but on the terms of play, I think that it kind of caught up to them. And then the frustration and the yellow cards, that's all caught up to them now. And that's where you see the four nil and you have to flip a switch. You have to flip a switch going into this Nashville game, your last game at home for quite a while. You have four games on the road and which is an outstanding road road trip, by the way, it's insane, but you have to flip a switch here and get a result because you can't manage to keep on scraping by. I don't think you're going to have, have that. And the, the only thing that I really love about it is really just the clean sheets. Uh, other than that, I think the offensive play was really poor. Uh, but other than that, that that's all I can really give them full credit for in, the, in that stretch of games. Austin, I'll ask your patience. We'll talk about the road trip next week. In the interim, we move on to a, a, a final sort of understanding in the advent of this club. As we end the show, they, they really, there was always something missing, and that was a jersey sponsor. I know that that's not very important, but just briefly, XBTO, a cryptocurrency company, decides to become the, the jersey sponsor for Inter Miami. 
And now that they have this, now that they're they're finally all of these notches have happened. What what are we thinking about how this club is moving forward, what that partnership is with them, the crypto entering this space and what this means for Inter Miami, especially given that crypto has become a very big thing in South Florida. Yeah, um, I think that it was almost inevitable. And when you listen to what, if you have the chance to listen to what Jorge Mas was was saying at the the event where they unveiled the jersey sponsor, yes, they are the first MLS team to you know partner with uh, a crypto company. This is, I believe, XPTO is a crypto finance firm, meaning that they provide the backing for all these cryptocurrencies. They are a cryptocurrency in themselves, so so don't go search for XPTO. You're not going to find it and buy it. Um, but they are the first. MLS club to partner with a, a cryptocurrency company and it's all due according to Jorge Mas. And I, I fully agree with him. It's, it's this post pandemic economy. You, you wouldn't see something like this a, able to happen back before 2020. It was more going to be a, an airline or, or a cruise line and things like that. But with how the economy, especially in South Florida, where those two things I just mentioned are, are huge. Um, you had American Airlines Arena changed to FTX Arena, another you know crypto. That's kind of where the, the landscape is changing into. And I think Miami being able to embrace that, into Miami being able to embrace that is, is a very positive thing. And also at the end of the day, a crypto company can do a lot for for sports teams and i think we're seeing it all around the world and it brings a you know a very vast you know a plethora of options i should say in terms of engagement with the fans and the players and what they want to do off the pitch or on game days and it's just going to spark more interest from people if they can come up with these new activities through cryptocurrencies or, or through fan tokens or, or whatever kind of engagement they want to, to bring up, I think there's a way for them to engage with fans. And I think that that's one of their main goals. And, and this crypto company is able for them to do that. Oh, as far as XPTO goes, sorry, I was finding my unmute button. Um, Yeah. The, the event was great. I, I think, yeah. I'm still learning a bit about crypto, so uh, I wasn't completely well versed uh, on what actually they were doing. But you know, the the uh, the owner of the company, I, his mind, his name is slipping me right now. Uh, he looked really enthused, and uh, Moss looked enthused, and um, you know, there was a lot of good Felipe. things. That there was... Felipe, that's his name. Felipe. He, he, he's French. Felipe. 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 Oh, Felipe. Yeah, Felipe. Felipe. <laughs> yeah, so he looked really enthused and, you know, there's a lot of good things coming uh, as far as that partnership goes, fan tokens. There's got to be a lot of cool events that, that Moss said will happen in maybe November um, if Miami make the playoffs. But, um, yeah, it was interesting. And, you know, like Austin said, with uh, post-COVID or currently COVID going on, basically, but uh, you know, that, that you know, pre-COVID, that wouldn't have been able to happen. So, yeah, it's a, it's a cool sponsor. I, um, it's growing on me. I think it looks cool on the shirt and uh, um, it's, it was a, a matter of time uh, before Miami did get a shirt sponsor. Alex, real fast as we wind up uh, Fort Lauderdale CF, a frustrating two two draw against Tormenta. Uh, they, they were in control the whole time and couldn't see the three points out. 
um, especially in this playoff push, gonna really regret those two points uh, that that are that were dropped. What can they do? What do they need to do to make sure that they find a way to get through on this? Um, uh, clean up at the back. I know uh, Mabika was not um, playing uh, this game because he was, you know, there was a potential, you know, potentially he could have uh, been playing with Inter Miami, but due to rules, you know, he's just. Let's not, talk uh, about that. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Bill, Bill <laughs> talked about that. I, I, I'm gonna ask you to go a little bit brief on this, but Phil wanted Mabika available for this game and and MLS rules didn't allow it. Explain that for the, for the crowd. Yeah. So um, basically your mommy are, it's the hardship rule where under 16 players, you know, you're allowed to call an, an emergency loan for about four days, I believe. But uh, since, you know, players like Felipe Valencia, Edison, Ascona, George Costa, they're technically signed to the first team. Miami do have over 16 healthy players, so they don't have enough defenders, but they have enough attackers. But some of these guys do play for Fort Lauderdale CF. So they're, you know, Mabiko just wasn't eligible to, to, to be that emergency loan player, which is unfortunate because I, I would have liked to have seen him um play but is what, what it was is. what what was interesting too is that when i showed up to training before we found out about the rule and what was going to happen mabika was there in first team training he didn't show up on the on the roster for fort Lauderdale cf a, t- a game i actually finally got to tune into uh maybe because romeo beckham was playing maybe not but we, we won't really go there uh <laughs> uh mabika was not on the roster and i, and I was almost shocked and when I saw him in training on Monday morning before the press conference, I'm like, okay, well, it's finally coming into fruition. We might see Mabika. And when we finally asked Neville about it, he not only, you know, put down all shots of, of Mabika being able to play, but he criticized the league and the rule and, and, you know, was upset about the fact that he can't bring up a homegrown player to start for an MLS side when in reality, that should be the goal for MLS. And the fact that they're limiting that is kind of where he, where he disagrees and where I disagree. And I'm sure a ton of people around the league who are covering the lead fully disagree because Mabika is a homegrown player. They drafted him. He's been playing very well. He should have a chance, especially with what's going on. And this would have been a perfect opportunity, but we lose that because of MLS rules, of course. And I'm really hoping that we can dive more into that on our brand new YouTube channel that that we will have later this week, because uh, I know that we have a lot more thoughts on that, each of us individually at the Heron Outlet, and to hear from what Phil Neville said about it. I, I think that it's really important to have this conversation, and I don't think that uh, it's unfair to say, well, what happened here? And this is a first round MLS super draft draft pick. And why did that happen? So we'll talk about it later on this week. This has been the regular Heron Outlet podcast. He is Austin Robillard. She is Alex Winley. I am Ian Hess. Please join us on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. We are so excited for you to join us. And we will talk to you this time next week.